Good morning. morning. Greetings in Christ's name. Chester, I appreciated that opening. Uh, Very fitting, I thought, in stressing the importance of the lives of children and also in teaching those children. Spending time with them fits in very well with what I wanted to talk about. I've entitled my message this morning, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. And I just wanted to talk a bit about children, since this is a baby dedication. And I know this isn't just for Damien, it's for all of us, but I wanted to focus on him a little bit. Interesting, Brent and Tam, I don't know how much thought you put into Damien's name, but uh, it is an interesting name. It comes uh, from the Greek uh, demonios, which means master, overcomer, or conqueror. So it means to overcome, to subdue, to tame, to, um, to be one who triumphs. And that's, uh, that's a beautiful name. If he can do that in the Christian realm, he will be a tremendous blessing to everyone around him, and I trust that will be the case. It's also interesting to me that Damien's life, like that for all of us, is a result of a plan by God himself. You know, Sometimes we think, some people think of babies as simply being the result of a biological process that happens. You know, all the workings are in order, so a man and a woman get together and a baby is born, sometimes wanted, sometimes not wanted so much. But it's just an accident, it's like a, you know, like a big assembly line that cranks out humans. And those kind of people seem to think that it's fine just to terminate that process if it's inconvenient for them. But the Bible gives us a much different picture. It tells us that we are created by God. I'm going to read a short passage from Psalm 139. I'm sure you're all very familiar with this passage. The beginning of verse 13, he says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Just thought I'd pause for a moment. Does anybody know what the word reins means in modern English? It actually means kidneys. For thou hast possessed my kidneys, thou hast covered me with my mother's womb. You might say, what, what, what does that mean? Well, at the time this was written, the term was kind of interchangeable with heart. So it would be like us saying, thou hast possessed my heart. My heart belonged to you from the beginning, even when I was in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. Stop there for just a few minutes. These two words, fearfully and wonderfully. In the Hebrew, the first word literally has the connotation of being in awe. The way we are created is is a process that is awe-inspiring. And for anybody that has studied the biology behind it, indeed, it is awe-inspiring. It's not just a gigantic machine that cranks out humans. It is a creative process that makes every human unique. And I believe it's overseen by God himself. So the first word means to be in awe. The second word is more a a word that that speaks of the distinctive nature of the creation. In other words, 
Every one of us is different. We are a unique human being created for a specific purpose. We are designed in different ways. We can see that here, can't we? I mean, Brother Mill, for example, is, I, I have seen him on top of a roof or doing a job as a carpenter. And he could do at least 15 times as much as I could. I mean, and I probably would have to do mine over and he wouldn't. He is, he's skilled in that area. He seems to be built for that area and I'm built for something entirely different. We are uniquely made for God's glory. Then he goes on and he says, my substance was, hid, was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continence were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! Think of a baby in the womb, hidden away. Can't see the baby unless we do an ultrasound. Hidden away, and yet there is a work of development occurring there that is absolutely awesome. Notice he says that uh, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect or being incomplete. God sees the complete picture at the baby's conception or before. He knows what that child will be like. You know, and as we, as we read this, it's interesting. He says, and in thy book, all my members were written. So I believe he was very possibly referring to what we call DNA today. Because when a baby is conceived at the very beginning, at the cellular level, the DNA completely spells out what that baby's going to look like. How, how tall he's going to be, you know, how long his nose is, how fast he's going to grow. Everything is spelled out in detail in DNA before the child exists. And yet, he says, he speaks of, of a work that's continuing, a work that gradually develops. Baby isn't just formed like that. It takes time, but every little cell that's formed is part of a process that creates a complete child. That is a work of God. That is not an accident. And you, as a unique human being, whether you are young or middle-aged or elderly, you are a unique, distinct creation of God. And we must never forget that. When a culture, when a nation, when a people forget that, horrible things happen. We saw what happened in Germany in the 1930s and 40s when that principle was forgotten, when humans were thought of as disposable and they were murdered by the millions. We see it in modern America when we have lost sight of the precious nature of a created being and abortion is the result. And again, millions, tens of millions of humans have died as a result of that. But we are a distinct creation of God and the process of conception. I'm, I won't go into detail on that, 
But if you're really interested in learning more, go to AnswersInGenesis.com and find uh, the, uh, there's some videos on there by Dr. David Minton. And he talks about the process of conception and how that occurs, and it is extremely complex. The timing is critical. And things happen very quickly, and it's, it's just absolutely awe-inspiring. I want to think a little bit more about DNA. Robert, I think you mentioned the other evening in Bible study, you mentioned something about the fact that, there, that with, with DNA, the storage capability is immense. And indeed it is. All of you know that I'm a, a, an IT person by trade, and we pride ourselves on how we've miniaturized storage. But we cannot even get close to what DNA does. Our miniaturized storage is child's play compared to what God has done with DNA. In 2011, the cloud computing company EMC estimated that if you took all of the world's written documents and videos and movies and all of the recorded history of humanity, it would take 1.8 zettabytes of data. That's a very, very, very large amount of data. But scientists are learning how to use DNA for storage. They, use, they take the little nodes and they can turn them into a binary state where they're on or off, and they can actually store data on them. And there is, you could, there, there's enough storage capacity so that every document, everything in that 1.8 zettabytes of data could be stored in a teaspoonful of DNA. Can you imagine? That's awe-inspiring. And that's why God says in his word in, in, in the Psalms that we are fearfully made when we start digging in and understanding just a little bit of the process of conception and development of human life, we are just simply blown away. It is absolutely incredible. Jeanette is a, as a medical professional, you could probably tell us more about those kinds of things and, and the, the sorts of things that happen in the life, not only of a child, but of any human. So, in the process of creation, baby is considered full term in what, about 39 weeks, roughly? So, and they think, they, I think I read that they can survive outside the womb at 22 weeks with some help. But a baby takes that long to be created in full, and a baby is born and is perfect in the sense that that child is complete for that stage of life. A baby is born, from what I've read, with about 100 billion neurons in the brain. Brain is absolutely saturated with neurons. They actually have more neurons than we do as adults. And even though their brain is only about a third the size of ours when they're born, their, their neurons are very compact, and there are lots and lots of them, so that they can learn very, very quickly. And think about what a baby has to learn. Think about that, you know, try to, try to put 
us in that situation? What if we were thrown into a completely different world where we didn't understand anything? We, we didn't understand the language that was spoken. We didn't know what all the stuff was around us and we were completely helpless. And we had to learn as fast as we could. For a man my age, that would be quite a challenge. I probably would lose out and fall by the wayside. But for an infant, they do it. You know, and at first their eyesight is not well developed and they can only see up close. But that's all they need at that moment because their world is very small. Basically, it's just baby and mama for the most part. And their world is very small. And then their eyesight develops, their brain develops. They learn very, very fast. And a good example of this is babies that are born into multilingual homes where the parents speak multiple languages. They learn it by osmosis. You know, for those of you who have sat in a modern language class, in high school and in college, I was in German classes. And we learn language by analysis, by learning the syntax, the semantics of the language. We learn all these language rules. The vocabulary we have to learn carefully. We have to go through a very rigorous process to learn a new language. My wife used to laugh at me because I would sit at home with a cassette tape and listen to vocabulary as part of my German classes and learn and learn and learn because it was part of the process. But a baby just learns it by osmosis. It doesn't even know what grammar is, but it learns grammar. It doesn't understand, you know, the fact in German, for example, the, the syntax of the language is different. So the language order is different. And we learn that by time. So that you say, if you transliterate most languages, if you take them and you just word for word translate them, they sound funny because the language order is different. The sentence structure is different. Baby learns that without even thinking about it. They can switch from one language to another. They switch the semantics of the language, the syntax of the language. The language rules change, and the baby doesn't even think, the child doesn't even think about it because they learn by osmosis. God has given us a clean slate when a new child is born into our home. And as Chester said, we can't spend too much time developing and helping that child. It's just absolutely amazing. Psalm 102, verse 10 says, This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. And I think that's how it is. We are, we are created beings, and we need sometimes to stop and think about that. Even, even our, our ability as adults, as we sit here, you know, one of the things that the human eye is very good at is recognizing something very quickly. It takes about 70 milliseconds from the time the eye sees something before it recognizes what that something was. That's about half the time it takes for you to blink your eye. Facial recognition is very quick. Have you ever, ever scanned a sea of faces? You were looking for somebody and boom, you picked them out of a crowd of lots of people just like that because your mind processes very, very quickly 
what your eye sees very, very quickly. When God gives us a baby, he gives us a very precious gift. A little being that will someday be an adult. When you look at the, in the eyes of a baby, if you can remember that you are looking in the eyes, perhaps, of a future father, grandfather, leader, or mother, or whatever it might be, you never know what the potential of that child is. But you have a clean slate and one chance to work with it. Nothing is more important than teaching our children. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the Hebrew word there means to train or dedicate. So we, we do more than just teach a child in the same sense as, you know, at work we go to training classes. We learn specific skills. It's more than that. You take that child and you allow and help that child to develop into an adult. That is a unique and beautiful task. Someone put it this way. They said, if you want an idea to last a few hours, write it on a chalkboard. If you want it to last for years, write it on a piece of paper. If you want it to last for centuries, chisel it and rock. But if you want it to last forever, write it on the heart of a child. And I believe that is so true. We have that opportunity because little Damien is not just a person who will live to be 70 or 80 or 90 years old. Mm -hmm. He is a person who will live forever. He is eternal. His spirit is eternal, just as God is eternal, because God has made us that way. So important, I believe, that we remember to teach and help in whatever way we can. And to spend time, Chester talked about the fact that God giveth his beloved sleep, and he does, doesn't he? He gives us the rest that we need. But I know that you as parents, grandparents, spend time sometimes at night praying for your children, for your grandchildren, because imparting to them truth and hope and righteousness is the work not only of us, but of God. We can't do it ourselves. We can't do it alone. It's a work that only God can do. And He uses us. But we can't do it ourselves. And so, sometimes in the night, we need to cry out to God. And Brent, I encourage you, especially as a father, there may be times when you can't sleep at night. A good thing to do is just Spend some time praying for your children. Praying that God will bless them, keep them, protect them, and lead them. And that He will help you impart truth to them in a way that will help them forever. You know, especially in the modern world in which we live, that becomes especially important. We have so much available at our fingertips to transfer knowledge to each other, to help one another, to reach others, and, and, and to help our children and others. And yet, 
our modern world, as it says in the book of Daniel, becomes weaker as it becomes wiser. Isn't that sad? There is a principle, I think, in God's Word. Now, I'm going to try to take a few minutes and sort of dig that out that I think is really, really important when you think about training children and helping children. And I'm going to try to illustrate this by starting with a couple of stories and then just sort of zeroing in on the lesson that we learned from that and Scripture. There was a man by the name of Alexis de Tocqueville. Some of you have probably heard of him. He wrote the book, Democracy in America. It was published in 1840. I won't go into a lot of detail, but he basically, this was the premise of his book. He wanted, he came to America from France, and he wanted to know what made America so great. Why was this country so prosperous and free and strong? And in the end, to put his findings in a nutshell, this is what he said. He said, America is great because America is good. He said, if America ever ceases to be good, she will also cease to be great. And I think we see that being played out. Sadly, we see that happening. Now, let me switch to today's world. A couple of weeks ago, and this is just an example of the sort of thing that we see happening in our country today and in our culture today. A couple of weeks ago, the, the, a month or so ago, I guess it was, the news came out that a man in New Jersey who had been imprisoned for sexual assault, sentenced to, I think, 30 years, was serving his time in prison, and he decided to identify as a woman. And so he was transferred to a women's prison. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what happened after that. All of a sudden, the pregnancy rate in this women's prison went up very quickly. Now, you know, we look at that and we say, now look, you know, let's be honest. Whoever made that decision is a moron. How did they make those kinds? How do they make those sorts of decisions. How did that happen? Well, let's look at Romans 1. I'm going to read verses 18 through about 28. This is a, a, a scripture that Paul was using in his argument, pointing to Jesus Christ as Savior of the world. And he was talking about a culture that loses sight of God. Beginning at verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Pause there for a moment. He's telling us that as humans, even before we hear the gospel, the creation calls out to us and says there is a designer up there. 
How many of you heard the, have heard the song Creation Calls? You ever heard that song? We should play it here sometime. It's a beautiful song that talks about that. How that God's creation calls out His identity to the world before they even hear the gospel. They know there is a God there. And he says because of that, they are without excuse. They should start seeking that God. And then he goes on to verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So he's talking here about a culture that turned away from God. And notice he says that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Now there's, there's some really interesting words in the Greek in this passage. If you look at verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. If you look at the Greek word for wise, it's sophist which is the root for our word sophisticated. And then when you look at the Greek word for where it says they became fools, the word is morino, which is a derivative of the word moros, from which comes our word moron. So you literally could translate this scripture to say, professing themselves to be sophisticated, they became morons. That would be a fair translation of the scripture. Now, what the, the principle here that is being taught that I think is so important for us as Christians, especially as we teach our children, is that evil, when you become increasingly evil, you also lose sight of wisdom and you literally become stupid. I don't know how else to say it. So he's saying that because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Therefore, even though they professed themselves to become sophisticated pe people, they actually became morons, very stupid people. And we are not immune to that. We can do the same. Therefore, it is important for us to glorify God as God and to live in thanksgiving, to be thankful. We all struggle. We all have things about our lives that we don't like. 
But I think it is very important as we teach our children to do so from an attitude and spirit of thanksgiving. Because we're glorifying the God who made us. Sometimes it's hard to be thankful when you're living in a situation where things are not the way you wish they were. And yet, if we can recognize that here I am in the middle of a world that God has created, I am a created being, I have the mental and physical capacity to make a change in this world by teaching the truth of God and by glorifying God, and I am not going to stay here. I'm going to a better place. That should make us thankful, shouldn't it? And yet, often we forget that. And so I really encourage you, Brent and Tam especially, and all of you who are parents here, teach your children from an attitude of glorifying God and being thankful. So important. And we just see what happens to a culture when that is not the case. We see the perversion, and it's spelled out here in fair detail, and we see it happen around us, just as the Bible says. These things actually do happen. <coughs> Last point I want to make here in the message has to do with the fact, as I mentioned before, Damien, and that goes for every child here, is not a temporal being. It's an eternal one. And so are you. You are going to live as long as God lives. Because God has created you in His image to live as long as He does. And so our most important task as parents is not only to teach life lessons. It is indeed that. We want to equip our children with the skills they need to succeed and do well. That's important. I would rather be, I literally would rather be a poor parent who teaches children life skills than a wealthy one who doesn't. But it's more than that. We must teach them and try to lead them to an encounter with Jesus Christ. Because once they have that encounter, then a new creation occurs, which in many respects is even more awe-inspiring than the first one. I mean, the fact that I and you are children of Almighty God Himself, that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ is absolutely phenomenal and marvelous. And it's never something that we should take for granted. Chester, I think you mentioned this morning that the children of God never die. And that is true. Jesus clearly stated that in John, in the book of John, John 11, I think it was, where he clearly stated that he that liveth and believeth me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Or, I'm sorry, he that dies in me, though he were dead, yet shall I live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die, or something to that effect. I'm not sure I quoted that exactly right. But the idea is that as children of God, we never die. Some of us here 
have experienced the loss of parents, partner, brothers and sisters. And we, we feel that loss. And it hurts. And for us, for us, a death occurred. But for that person, a death did not occur. They didn't die. They went from one state to another. They are as alive. They are more alive now, perhaps, than they ever were here on earth. And so it's so important to recognize that when we look at our little children, not only are we looking at a future grandfather, we're looking at someone who will live as long as God lives. And it's so important for us to point them to the eternal principles of God's Word. So I'm going to close with that. I just want to bless every family that's here, especially those of you with young children. I want to bless you and, and just pray that God will give you what you need to bring up those children in His Word. Ultimately, they have to make a choice in the end. You can't choose for them. You can help point them to Christ, but they have to choose to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. But I just encourage you to do that. Do everything that you can to be an example to them and to teach them and to love them and to spend time with them. You know, I, it's interesting. I, I'm sure many of you fathers could say this, but I have learned to like things that I didn't used to enjoy because my children did. So I learned to do the things that they enjoy. It's more important for me, literally, to be spending time with them as they're growing up especially, doing things with them that they enjoy than it is for me to do the things I enjoy. It's more important because it points them to a father who cares about them and they see me care about them. My father knows the things I'm afraid of and the things I struggle with. He knows me intimately. And when I can show my child by example that I know and I care about even the little things in their life, it's really important. It speaks to them. Thank you for being a good audience. Brent and Tam, God bless you as you raise little Damien for his sake. Also Kyrie and Bea and all of you who are here with children. Bless you as you raise them for the sake of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can say with confidence that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we can also say with equal confidence, Lord, that by the grace of Christ, we have been recreated. We are a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. And for that, we praise you. I want to pray for each family that's here, especially those with young children, that you would bless them and that you would give them what they need to raise those children for your glory. Father, we might be in for some tough times. We're running into a culture that opposes the teaching of truth. And we might have to suffer for that. But Father, if so be the case, help us to suffer as you've suffered with dignity and strength. Father, help us to be able just to continue to serve you. And we invite you to come soon. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.